what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Forecast. We are your connection to the who's who in the game of golf. We hope to make you laugh, learn, and win, and grow your golf IQ. I'm your host, Alan Burton, Director of Instruction for the Alan Burton Golf Academy at Lake Hickory Country Club in Hickory, North Carolina. I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in and find us on themesh.tv and all your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple Tunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. And be sure to check out all the other shows on themesh.tv, produced right here in Western North Carolina. It's a great thing to be an advertiser on themesh.tv. You reach a great audience, and you can grow your business through themesh.tv ads. For more information, send an email to info at themesh.tv. On today's episode, I'm joined by a great friend of mine, a golf instructor who has been a legend in our industry for a long time. He's up in New York this morning joining us, and I'd like to welcome onto the show today, Mr. James Hong. James, what's happening, man, up in New York? How are you, Alan? Thank you for having me. Hey, listen, it's my pleasure, buddy. I know we've known each other through the industry a long time. I was looking on Facebook to, this morning. I think we have about 550-some-odd shared friends <laughs> through, through Facebook, which is kind of an amazing thing to think about how social media has connected me with a lot of great instructors like yourself to learn from and, and to share with and and just grow as friends. And I, I'm going to thank you for for being that kind of guy. You're very um, very intelligent instructor, but you're also genuine in that you share what you learn with our industry, and that is just that's a tremendous quality. Uh, we're going to talk a lot today about some of the things that you do and and how you help your players, both young and old, you know, improve and um, you know, let's, let's get down to business. I like to talk about, um, what's going on in our world right now, a little bit with golf and, and how you're taking advantage of a new situation. Let's talk about technology and what you might be doing right now to reach out to your students. Since I think you like me are not on a driving range every day, uh, seeing them one-on-one, -on -one. what kind of technologies are you tapping into and, and how are you doing your job? Yeah, definitely. Um, in my situation, my golf course has been closed since March 13th. So I'm, I'm going on about five weeks now. This is my fifth week being at home. So what I've been doing is, is just doing a lot of Zoom meetings uh, with my students. We've been doing online lessons. And uh, that's been pretty much what, I, what I've been doing. I've also been sending them videos. Uh, you know, we're all going through kind of a difficult situation here. So in particular, we have a ju big junior program. A lot of what I do is with juniors. So one of the things that's going on is, like I mentioned, uh, the options that we have or I've been giving them are online lessons, and they're either 20 minutes or 40 minutes. Uh, it depends on what they want. And the second thing is, is practices, group practices. And I do that through Zoom, as I mentioned. And those, basically, I open it up to any of my students. I don't charge for that. It's because I've already heard from a few parents about how their their financial situation is very difficult right now. And so I don't want the kids in particular to feel like they're victimized or left out of anything. So they get a Zoom invite. I say, just come on in, just join us. 
it's good for them, I think, for their for their well-being that they see the other kids and they get to talk and join in and kind of forget about what's going on for about 45 minutes. And yeah. uh, also doing some video analysis. Some people are sending me their swings and I take a look at it and I give them an analysis back. I send it back. And so that, that's basically how I've been keeping in touch with students. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, what what platform do you use for your um, online videos? Are you using V1 or what are you doing? Yeah, I've been using two platforms. I've been using V1 uh, and I'm also using Swing Catalyst now, getting used to the software there. So I'm um, hopefully if things work out uh, right now, I'm probably going to be moving forward as a brand ambassador for Swing Catalyst. Okay. Uh, all of this kind of hit right in the middle of, of everything going on with me and Swing Catalyst. So I've got their software, but I don't have their balance plate. <laughs> so it's kind okay. of, um, so I'm just playing around with their software and getting used to it. And I like what I've been doing, what I've been able to do with it. So, uh, but like I said, I've been using both of them. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Well, well you, um, you're kind of known in the industry as a, as a junior golf instructor leader, uh, you know, certainly a, an innovator in a lot of ways. Um, but you also teach adults as well. Are you staying in, t in touch with some of your adult clients the same ways? Are you trying to create some, some new space for them? Yes, I am. And, and it's an interesting situation in that a lot of them are parents or they have businesses of their own. So a lot of their time is taken up trying to take care of their families as well as their, their businesses. So what I try to do with them is not wait for them to get in touch with me. I get in touch with them. And the way I do that is I send them videos. I, I swing tips. Like we've all been doing it. We've all been posting stuff on Instagram, for instance. Hey, here's a tip for this and that. So what I've been doing is just putting together videos for them and sending it off to them and just telling them, listen, if you have the time to do this during your busy day, this is stuff that you can do. And a lot of the stuff that I'm giving them actually doesn't even require them having a golf club in their hand. Sure. So that that's important. And, uh, and if they send me something, if they get in touch with me, that's great. If they don't, hopefully they're just taking these things and that's good enough for them for now until we kind of get back to some sort of normalcy. That's nice. Cause like I'll, I'll get a message from somebody that I haven't heard from. I, I just got one the day before yesterday from one of my students. And all of a sudden, I don't know where it was just like, Hey, thanks for the videos. I really appreciate them. Sorry, I haven't gotten in touch with you and just going right. from there. Yeah, I think it's so important right now for us to, to just stay relevant and to stay in contact with our client base. And I and I think all of us are, you know, we're we're kind of hit. I was hit a little blindsided by this. I think some of us were. And um, I really am an old school golf instructor that like to be face to face one on one with my clients. And I really hadn't created for myself a great platform of digital communication with my client base. So this is a, a learning curve for me. Um, and so for me to get into this, this technology a little deeper and go down the rabbit hole and then find new ways to communicate uh, and adjust, um, it's been, it's been enlightening and certainly a, a little bit of an adjustment for me as well. So I think Definitely. we're all, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of where I've, I've been with it. So, um, um, it, it's been good. And I think the learning curve is, uh, is steep, but I think it's, it's going to help our industry. And I know a lot of people are probably in a similar situation to me. So hopefully it can help us all grow. Um, let's talk a little bit about your facilities. I know normally you're, you're, you're there in New York, you're at Harbor view golf club. Is that correct? It's a uh, Harbor links golf club. Harbor golf links. Club. Yeah. 
And uh, tell us about that facility and, and how long you've been there and some things about it that make it special. Sure. Uh, well, Harbor Links, it's located in Port Washington, New York. It's out on Long Island. Uh, it's, it's in Roslyn, New York, uh, and it's exactly in between uh, if Manhattan were over here and everyone knows Beth Page Black is over here. It's literally where my face is. It's right in between. Um, so it's and it's a public golf course. It's a municipality uh, town of North Hempstead. It's a 18 hole championship course maxes out at sixty nine thousand uh, sixty nine hundred twenty seven yards. We also have a nine hole executive course that's really challenging. Very good course. So and uh, we have a driving range, 350 yard driving range. It's got about 40 stalls. So. Uh, as I mentioned, open to the public, so it's it, everyone's welcome to to come on by when we're we're back to normal. Yeah, that's fantastic. And how long have you been there, James? Uh, this is going on. I think it's sixteen. Yeah, it's sixteen years I've been there. Uh, I know my my older son was one years old when when uh, I I went I uh, moved to there. So yeah, it's been a while, and and time has flown by. <laughs> Well, it kind of has a way of doing that, doesn't it? You know, I'm similar in that regard. Been been at a place for a good little while, and you think, "Wow, it does has it really been that long?" You know, it's it's nice to have a home. Um, so you have two boys. You have is that right? Two teenage yep. boys. Yep. Two teenage boys. You got both of them playing golf. Your uh, your influence is pretty strong in the house. There, got them playing, and tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, they both they both know how to play. They're casual golfers. I didn't I didn't push it on them. Um, I just let them go. And, and, you know, even I, I can still remember the times with both of them where I would say, Hey, you're going to be, you're going to be with this group. You're going to be in that camp and your teacher's going to be this person. You know, it could be like Forrest or Sonny or one of the other instructors here. Uh, and basically what I told them is, is, is that, listen, when you're ready for daddy to tell you or not to tell you, but to teach you or to help you out, you just come and ask me, I'll help you out. And if you're ready for, for dad to, to kind of like teach you a little bit, just let me know. Cause I, I know at that time, at that young age, they can't differentiate between teacher and dad. Right. So being able to take instruction from me, sometimes it, it's tantamount to, they, they feel like they're, they're getting scolded or something like that. And so I just, I just waited for them to tell me when they were ready. And like I said, I didn't push it on them. And once in a while, we'll go out and hit balls or play golf together. But I, I didn't expect them to be like the next PGA superstar or something like that. Or, or think about it as in terms of, hey, you can get a college scholarship this way or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's such an important concept. I think parents oftentimes uh, struggle with their relationship with their kids when they really set very high expectations for their their kids in a sport, you know, whether it's golf or soccer, or football, anything, you know, or even academically, sometimes I think the, the expectations get set a little high and, and it's difficult. Let's talk about that relationship between the young athlete and the parent and how important that is. And some of the influences that you have in your junior golf program with your parents, I think is fantastic. We've all learned a lot about that process. I know I have a son who's 22 now and tried to help along his, his journey as a young athlete golfer. Um, but yeah, talk, talk to us a little bit about how the coach, you, um, the expert, um, can handle that parent child athlete relationship and, and make that an important, good environment for them to grow. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I really try to do 
from the start is that let the parents know that I'm a parent as well. And that my kids are basically either the same age as their kids or pretty much within a few years of their kids. So we're all kind of going through the same things as far as raising our children are concerned. And so that, that sort of, uh, empathy, not just sympathy, but empathy really goes a long way. And I think what happens is, is the parents right away see that I'm, I'm caring for their kids as if I'm a third parent. And so what happens, and I'll talk to them, like sometimes what'll happen is we'll be in the middle of a, of a lesson or something like that, or we're just kind of just standing around and talking. And I'll actually ask them, Hey, have you noticed your kids are like this? Cause my son is, my son does this, or my kids are going through this. Did you notice that with your kids too? Right. So I'm sometimes inherently flipping it around and asking them for parental advice. Sure. You're just kind of developing a bond with each other. And so what happens is they now feel a sense of trust with you in that they can come up to you and, and ask you questions without worrying about being sold something. Right. So that if I tell them you're really going to need to do this, they're not seeing it as like, oh, he's just trying to sell me the latest product that he's doing or something like that. They see it as um, he see I, I see it as they need that for their development. And when I say development, I'm not looking at it as like with my own kids. Same thing. It's I'm not trying to develop your child into a PGA or LPGA tour player. Mm-hmm. It's. This is this is part of their development. This is a game that they could be playing till the day they die. They could be playing with their grandkids, your great ke- your great grandkids. I mean, your grandkids or, or you know, their kids, yeah. etc. Yeah. And so it's it's a lifelong activity sport. And if it turns out they're really good at it and they want to be competitive, great. We'll we'll move up to that when the time comes. But it it's it is sort of like a personality developing process. I mean, we're, we're making them better people, not just better golfers. Right. And that, that's so important. And certainly what I try to do in my program as well is you're developing the whole, the whole individual and, and certainly that opportunity that we're given uh, to work with these kids and to work with these parents and to have these relationships is you, you and I are similar. We take it serious. We want to be good at what we do. We want to understand more than just developing them as, as a golfer, you know, and uh, creating an environment that's safe um, and that enriches their lives and gives them an opportunity to make good, educated decisions along their path. You know, that's an important thing. Right. You know, sometimes parents see a, a kid playing really, really high-level golf at a young age, and it might not be their own kid, and so immediately – they start setting those high expectations for performance you know, on the golf course for their own child. And, and every kid's so different, you know, and it's, it's not something you right. need to use as a barometer to see how well your kid's doing based on, you know, what you see another child uh, do. Um, but that's, it's a very thing, you know, they, they see you coaching these other kids and they don't realize that maybe this, this child that's extremely skilled has been in your tutelage for, seven, eight, nine, 10 years right. <laughs> they just came to the program six months ago and they're not seeing the same results out of their kid. You know, they got kind of makes it a, a dynamic that's interesting sometimes, but um, yeah, that, that's definitely the case is um, we start inherently comparing our kids to what we see other kids doing. And we start wondering why, why my kid can't chip like so-and-so 
And it, it's, it's, again, like you said, it, it's, it could be that that person's been under, under my tutelage or my observation for a year ahead of their kid. Sure. So, yeah. um, but what I always tell the parents is, is that when they get to a certain age, things start to even out so that it might be that they're both eight years old and one skill, one child is here and the other child is here. But by the time we all get to about 11 years old, everything's going to be like right about there. Right. That's right. right. It, just, it just took them a little longer to catch up and everything because that gap in ability level is not going to stay the same. Right. It's, right. it's, it's, it's not going to be moving this like this as they get older. It's always going to be like that. That's right. That's right. It's, it's like climbing a mountain, you know, you, you got that shallow early pathway, you're going to be able to, to, to navigate pretty quickly. And then as you continue to improve it, that's going to steepen. It's going to be difficult to make those bigger improvements as your scores lower, your performance improves. And that's, that's kind of the way we see it. That's, it's a very interesting concept you, you bring up. I think that's awesome. Uh, that just shows the depth of your knowledge too, as a coach and how it all works. And I have a lot of conversations with both the kids and the parents, and I have them together as well, not just separately, where um, with the kids, I'll tell them whether it's an individual or it's a group that sometimes you have to understand what your parents are going through in that when, when you're a parent and you see your child struggling, there's nothing in the world you wouldn't do to run out there in the middle of a fairway and grab their grab your child and hold you and say no no I want to take care of you I'll hit the shot for you I'll right. I'll make it better for you but a parent can't do that we we can't do that as a mom or a dad so sometimes there's a frustration level of why can't I help my kid there's got to be something that I can do and so that's when we kind of have that got to do it now attitude and so I tell the kids, you got to got to understand that your parents are just frustrated. They can't help you get over this. But at the same time, I turn around and I'll tell the parents, and I'll say to them, now that your child understands that, you actually have to back off sometimes and let them learn how to deal with the struggle. Right. Figure out your own solutions or figure out how to be a problem solver. And you know what? The reality of the world is, is you're not always going to come up with the right answer. So you have to learn how to deal with that as well. That's right. I think I, I've heard you say it before. You, you have, they have to learn to fail graciously and, 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 and learn from their mistakes. I always use the combination of uh, L's. I say my kids think this L a lot of times stands for loser. And I say, no, it, it needs to stand for learner. And if, if you're careful in what you're listening to, uh, you can take these two L's and make a W and become a winner, but it takes a lot of listening and learning before you're, you're going to be that winner, you know? So I think that's an important concept. Let them fail and let them learn from those mistakes. That's part of the process, isn't it? Yeah. And I tell them all the time, especially new students, when they see me, uh, for the first time, it's, it's, I tell them like, look, I'm not your school teacher. I don't have a red pen in my hand and this is not your report card or this is not your essay and I'm not writing a bunch of red lines and X's all over it. Mm -hmm. It's we, we want to make mistakes because that's how we're going to be better in the long run. That's how we learn faster. So make your mistakes. And like you were saying, yeah, I say, you know, fail graciously, fail gloriously Mm -hmm. and revel in the, and and I was just telling someone uh, the other day about this, that a lot of times what I'll do is when one of the juniors is is 
is having a particularly difficult time hitting shots, I'll I'll actually make fun of them about it. I'll be sarcastic about it and say, oh, yeah, that was a good one. Nice job, bro. Yeah, you're going to be on the tour in two years. Way to go. But they they understand that. They see that what I'm trying to do is, is, is the opposite, is actually not take it so seriously that, right. hey, yeah. have a good laugh about it. And right. hopefully the ones that are serious and competitive, when they go out and they're playing and they do hit that bad shot that they can actually think about it as not so much, man, I really sucked, man, I blew it and look at it in, in, sen- in the sense of, yeah, James would have really liked that one. He would have, he would have had a laugh with that one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you're so good at too. You, you, you make light of the situation sometimes when it really doesn't need to be so serious and, and you make it fun for the kids and, and they enjoy that. I'm sure that's the magic that goes on on uh, in your programs when you're out there with the kids. So let's talk a little bit about about your own career and how it's developed over the years. And I understand from listening to a few other podcasts you've been on uh, and, and talking to you at trade shows and things that you had a career as uh, a, an expert fencing. Uh, I don't know what you call it, a fencer, someone who fences. What, what do you call that? I'm not very familiar with that sport. So you're going to have to educate me and the listeners as to what that's all about. Yeah, in fencing, there are, there are three basic weapons. There, there's the foil, there's the saber, and there's the epee. And uh, if you kind of like do an analogy with golf, it's kind of like thinking of it as like a person who's really good with their driver off the tee, a person who's good with their short game, a person who's good with their iron play, right? So you got three different parts. So yeah. with me, I, I started off as a foil fencer, and I um, later on I moved to saber and – the minute I started doing that, it was just one of those things where I was like, I wish I'd been doing it my whole life. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so that's where I was competitively. I did it in high school and in college and, and after college as well, just competed uh, in, in a lot of tournaments. So, And how that evolved also is, is that I ended up being uh, the head coach at two colleges. So I, I coached the fencing teams, the men's and women's fencing teams at Hunter College as well as Trinity College. and uh, so that was a great experience. And one of the things that happened in, in those terms is that the way fencing is coached is very similar to the way golf is coached. It's an individual sport. There's a lot of technique involved, how to, how to use the tools to, to create the situations that you want to be successful in. So, and, and it's funny, like if you watch the fencing lesson, even if you didn't know anything about it, it's you'd sit there and you'd look and you'd go be like, that's that's just like a golf lesson. That's like a guy giving yeah. a golf lesson there. Yeah. Exactly right. And uh, so my my fencing coach, a lot of his style is actually kind of creeps into the way I coach golf as well. I mean, just like you were, we were talking about, he's he's very sarcastic, and some of the things that he says kind of it says I say the same things uh, in golf terminology. So it, it, yeah, they carried over. So, you know, that experience was very helpful for me when this became my full-time profession. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think that's an interesting transition. We all, we all have these influences that we've uh, enjoyed and, and it creates our own personality. You know, over time, we, we just absorb all the things that we take in and, you know, there's, there's probably a little Manzella in all of us. There's a little Mayo in all of us, you know, that's, the way it is right you know absolutely uh, wherever we expose ourselves there's there's always some james hong in all of us and maybe that's why i like donuts so that gum much yeah. i don't know you know 
Like I've, had, I've had one donut in the last year. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's kind of a funny thought. You know, everybody has these perceptions, you know, uh, and, and I got I, I'm the same way. I had a donut last week as first donut I've had in quite a while. I can't remember. Um, but, um, you know, as, as we um, as we move forward in our industry, you know, what's what, in your opinion, is going to be different? What's going to change? Uh, as things open back up and how are we going to conduct ourselves differently in your opinion uh, moving forward? How do you see it? I think those of us that are kind of taking advantage of this time and building an online platform that we can teach from are going to see that it's something that we can add to our programs in the future because what's going to happen is, is we're all financially, economically hit hard by this uh, situation that we're in now. Mm -hmm. So people are either not going to be spending as much time or spending as much money on, on their golf, or what's going to be happening is, is they're going to be spending more time trying to recoup their, their losses. So they won't have as much free time to devote to their game or to just playing in general. So by providing them another avenue um, that's that's going to be helpful for all of us. They're they're not going to be completely cut o- cut off from the game. They're they're going to be doing stuff either at work or at home that they can be continuing to work on their game. And we have a, just another tool at our disposal to improve our the way we teach and to increase our our database of students. It's 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 inevitable. It's part of the evolution of the game. And I think and we don't have to be phenomenal at this. We don't have to be Dana Dahlquist, uh, people who have like, or, or like George Gankus, who have an amazing online presence. Sure. We, we're just trying to create something that's going to that's gonna be a new part of our business, uh, business plan moving forward. And right. I think for the golfer, yeah, it's, it's just showing them that, yeah, they're, they're going to be making some changes. They're, they're, make, they're probably going to be making sacrifices like we all are, but they don't have to totally cut it out at the same time. Right. Yeah. I think it's interesting how things evolve and, and how technology has creeped into our game. And it's just another step in that direction, isn't it? To bringing another technology avenue to communicate and, and, and to use that. And here, here's the interesting thing that's that, and I think a lot of people who are in the business, they should really take advantage of this. This is an opportunity to, to really improve your teaching skills. And this isn't what I'm about to say is not an anti-technology statement, but because of what we're doing, a lot of us are having to teach people hitting into towels or blankets draped over a laundry line. So we don't have our launch monitors at our disposal. We don't have all of that technology, our, our 3D force plate. And we're having to direct people over a communication line. So, we're learning how to teach. We're really learning how to use our eye better. And so yeah, I got lucky in that some of my students, they, they do have a home simulator and, and stuff like that. And so I'll use TeamViewer to log on to their computer or, or whatever it is they're using so I can see real time whatever their, their simulator or launch monitor is saying. But that's, that's maybe one in 10, right? So... I, th- I think what's happening is it's just kind of, and I get frustrated. I, I remember the other day I was giving a lesson online and I was trying to tell the student what to do. And I could tell they weren't getting what I was saying. And I showed my frustrations. 
And even that in itself was a lesson because me going <sighs> made the student feel like, oh, I'm doing, they're doing something wrong. And I had to tell them, it's not you. Right. I'm frustrated at myself for not doing a better job at communicating to you. That's beautiful. That is absolute teaching right there. You, and it's learning. I mean, it's a combination uh, process between you and the student. And, and I had that same experience the other day trying to give an online lesson to a student through FaceTime. And it, it's going to make us better communicators, period. We're going to have to use our language better. Um, you can't it's 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 a skill. Uh, you know, Jason Sutton taught me the skill of getting in there with your student physically putting your hands on them, moving them around. And, and you, you don't have that opportunity. Now you can't put your hands on their shoulders and rotate their body and position their arms and create the structure in their arms that you want to do. You can't do that anymore right now. It's, it's I was different. thinking exactly the same thing the other day. I was thinking of Jason as well. And him, you and I were like on the, uh, exactly the same thing. Yep. So, yeah, I've always used, a lot more verbiage, even in a, in a personal lesson. And then, and Jason, you know, is one of my mentors and certainly one of the industry's leaders as well. Jason's always been one to say, no, you've got to get in there and touch them. You got to move them. We want you to get them to feel certain things. And I so agree with that when that's the opportunity we have, but now we don't, we don't have, as you mentioned, we don't have the launch monitor data from every student. We don't have their force plate uh, numbers and, 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 and patterns. We can't see those those measurements we got to use the english language you know we got to do something different we got to create a visual send a video and or or use our language and better understand how to communicate so i think and it's going to be great for all of us and i think for a lot of us i mean we can't help it we're human we're we're kind of going through a period now where you know we we feel that we feel a little depressed we feel down about the situation and just kind of this sense of, oh my goodness, what's going to happen now? What am I going to do? And I think things like this will help invigorate us, kind of take our mind off of what's going on. And if we, if we use this as a positive energy source and go, you know what, this is going to make me better. And, and when I become better, so will, so will my business, so will, so will everything. And when, when, the, when we get back to seeing people face to face, not only will I be a better teacher, but they'll be happy that, wow, he's a better teacher. He's helping me. And, and it's just like a domino effect. And, and it, going to what you were talking about with Jason, it's interesting in that you start to see the people that you really rely on as mentors and, and sources of information and how you're, you're really drawing more from different people. And like we mentioned Jason with him talking about you got to get your hands on them and you got to get them to move and feel what you want them to feel. And, and it also brings to mind someone like John Dunnigan, who's the complete opposite and says, no, I want them to discover themselves what they should be doing. And so my job is to get them to move that way without having to force them in the situation. So all of a sudden you've got two phenomenal instructors on two opposite ends of the spectrum and, and and you're trying to find out, okay, you're, you're like a cook now. It's like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I want a little bit more of this. I want a little bit more, a little less. Right. Yeah. And that becomes you eventually. That That's exactly right. We pull from all our resources and we mold ourselves as, as people and instructors. And that's, that's the beauty of, of, of what 
we do, I think, you know, as coaches and, and players, helping each player, the one player in front of you at that moment is, is your most uh, significant priority. You know, it's helping them grow. And exactly. uh, that, that's the key to it. And so as we move out of this, um, this topic of golf a little bit, let's move into another topic. Let's move into um, what, what is our industry in general need to do um, to, to, to take this opportunity, so to speak, and, and pull something really big out of it. I and mean, what do you see in the game of golf 10 years from now that we're going to learn from this and predict the future a little bit for us? What's going to happen from this, this situation 10 years from now, how's the game of golf going to be different? I think, uh, and you're asking like in, in terms of golf or in terms of the instruction side of it. Well, let's just talk about the game first, the game of golf. How's the game of golf going to be different 10 years from now um, from where it is? What do you see happening in our game? Uh, yeah, from I, I, think, I think what's going to happen, unfortunately, um, is that <clears throat> like we see in other businesses already, it's there, there are going to be some golf courses that are closing and because they just cannot financially survive this this pause in our business, this, this time where we're all not, we're not, we're not supposed to be playing golf. And so they're going to go by the wayside. And I remember reading somewhere a few weeks back, and I don't know how I feel about this yet. And I've seen other people on both sides of the argument where they're talking about the ones, the golf courses that don't survive, maybe that's for the better that this, that this is almost like, okay, the ones that are struggling are, are going to be gone, but the ones that can survive and the, will, and the ones that can actually run a business will thrive as a result. So there's, there's that way of looking at it. Um, I could see that happening. Some so of the problems, that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying it's, it's that warrior mentality. Those are the ones that are going to be successful, the ones that adapt and change and shift. Um, you know, I had a vision the other day of, of, of my own thoughts and, and seeing, you know, with riding in a golf cart. A golf cart was engineered for two people. Well, now they're saying well, the courses that are open, you can only ride one to a cart. Well, how inefficient is that? So yeah. what's going to develop from that? Are we going to see a singular automobile for a single golfer to ride, almost like a, a, a three-wheel thing or a you know, like a little scooter that one person gets in and rides. And is that going to be the change? And golf carts, as we know them, are going to go away. Two-person golf carts. You know, that would be one thing that I think would happen. And what's, what's happening at the course is where they're getting rid of the bunker rakes because people touch the bunker rake. And, and the bunker rake is now a, a thing of the past. It's almost like the evolution of the golf spike. You know, we used to have a metal spike in our game. We don't have metal spikes in the public play arena anymore so what happens is things evolve things change we no longer see a metal spike we'll no longer see a bunker rake we'll no longer see a golf cart that two people ride in i mean these are all things that evolve it's it's interesting in that i could see where i i forgot what they call their bicycles um but they're like three-wheel bicycles mm-hmm yeah Paddle. And I could see that being the new golf cart of the future, where you're getting your exercise uh, because you'll be pedaling, but at the same, and you're still riding, and mm -hmm. things will move along a little faster. But it, 
a little bit more maneuverability. But yeah, you would put your you you put your clubs on the back of that. And in terms of the rake, maybe each one of those has a portable rake and attached to it. So now those things you could drive right up to the to the side of the bunker, go and play your shot, rake the bunker, hop right into your your bicycle cart, and just go move on to the next shot. Yeah, I think you and I just came up with our fifteen million dollar uh, our company there, <laughs> the, the Hong Mobile, the Honger Mobile. The great thing about that is is that. You know, I know the golf cart companies are not going to be happy unless they adapt and do this themselves is, is that maybe if you're, if your uh, golf course doesn't need those kind of golf carts anymore, you're not getting, let's say a fleet of 80 gas carts or electric carts. You're not getting the batteries. What you're doing is maybe you're getting 30 of those, but you're getting 50 of those bike carts instead. Right. Yeah. I used to work at a golf course that was uh, an old Donald Ross design. It was extremely walkable as a golf course. You know, his courses were kind of that way engineered where the distance between a green and the next tee is very short. And, uh, they had a lot of the kangaroo battery powered pull carts, you know, they're, they're remote control operated carts. And so I was fascinated by that. Our, our cart rentals were, you know, probably 40% of our rounds, which is very low. And it was because so many people walked the golf course. We had mechanical pull carts where you just, you towed it old school. And then some that were battery operated remote control carts. And we had a fleet of carts, but it was a small fleet because we just didn't need them at this golf course. And so, uh, you know, it's going to depend. The facilities are going to dictate what is required, but it's going to be a huge shift in how golf is played. Even, even at the hole. I mean, now they're, bringing the cup liner up and they're making the hole very shallow. So the ball doesn't go very deep down into the hole. Um, some courses were putting the cup completely out of the parameter of the hole. And so when your ball touches the edge of the cup, you're considered hold. Uh, I just think a lot of things will change, you know, the not touching the flag, uh, some developments will take place there. I'm sure. So the game's evolving and, uh, it's interesting how this will force a lot of us to grow. Uh, and that's what we have to look at it as a positive growth. And I think also we're we're looking at it in terms of today's standards as well. What we if if today was the first day of playing, uh, even right. though we're projecting ten years from now, ten years from now, what might be happening is is we we may have developed a high level of immunity, just just being exposed to the virus, and so we we might actually be able to touch things again, but we're more concerned about things. We might. What might happen is, is the golf cart might have some sort of dispenser for hand sanitizer. So, yeah, you're raking the bunker. You're still touching the brakes. But then Absolutely. as you get it, you just get a little bit. And plus, you know, look at us now a month later. A month ago, this – what a hassle. This is such a – so, Oh, yeah. Well, a month later, we're kind of like you – know, Right, right. It's, it's part of our daily routine. And I think – Going, going to like the teacher side of us, that's how we would teach our students. We would tell them, it's like, yeah, you know what? Gripping the club that way is going to feel really difficult right now. But mm -hmm. if you do this a little bit every day, two, three weeks from now, this is going to be easy to do. And it's the same thing with washing our hands or hand sanitizers or whatever it is we're doing now. Yeah, that, that's a beautiful concept, isn't it? I mean, you you just hit it right on the head right there. As a, I remember having a hand sanitizer in the, um, in the door pocket in my car. I had a container of hand sanitizer there. Honestly, don't know where I got it. It's been there so long. It was transferred from 
one car to the next car as I, as I made a transition in automobiles. I got a new vehicle, and I just, I just didn't think about it, and I just moved all of my stuff out of the old car and into the new car, and I said, well, there's this hand sanitizer there. Boom. It's in the, in the door of my car. Well, when this all came down, I'm thinking, wow, you can't get hand sanitizer in the stores. They don't have it. And I said, I have a container of hand sanitizer in my car. And it's like, I never used it before now. So you're right. It's, it's absolutely a new habit we're all into now. And it'll be one of those things. It just becomes part of what we do. And you're right. There'll be a container on the golf cart, a hand sanitizer container, dispenser, so we can, we can access it there. It's just another thing that will change. That's fantastic. And I, and I think we have to just try to see if we can evolve. I mean, I know for me, for instance, I got really lucky in that back in January and February, not many of us knew what was going on. We just heard about something, some, some disease or some, some virus that was going around. And like, I call you, you got to be careful. Just be careful. And, but this was already happening in China and in Korea. And I remember my wife telling me on a daily basis, she would be talking to friends or relatives and same thing. They, she would be talking to people in our church. You know, we go to a Korean church and they would be talking to relatives and they'd be telling each other about, Oh, this is what's going on. So I got lucky in that I was hearing about what was going on ahead of time. And so and of course, you know, my wife would tell me about it and I'd be like, eh, whatever, whatever, whatever. But then when she's not looking like, hmm, <laughs> right. you don't want to admit the wife is wrong, is right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she would, she was already doing the stuff with the hand sanitizer. She would say, be careful, wash your hands and whatnot. And as she started talking to me more about it, um, I started thinking about things like, yeah, what if potentially we have to close or I can't see as many people because that was already happening overseas. And so I had already started contacting my students and, and now we're going into like late February, early March. And I would email them and say, Hey, here's some links to buying nets um, and whatnot. And, you know, just because my point was also, even if there's nothing really to this, it's being able to set something up at home where you could practice and, and, and getting things done in that manner. Here's where you can get a net Here's where you can you can get a mat. Here's a nice putting uh, rollout mat that you could use at home in case you can't be here at the golf course. Exactly, and golfers will equip themselves better to develop their games at home. You know, and and we'll see that evolve as well. And you know, with your relationship with the the U putt mat and things like that, you'll have access to things like that to to do the, do the work at home. And I think some golfers are industrious in that way but this is going to force the issue a little bit more and you're right i had a an old hitting net that i used to own from my retail golf days and and the large poles i had taken down because i really didn't use it much in my backyard as my son went off to college he wasn't here so we took it down um and then as a matter of fact just the other day i thought you know i still got that net i need to get that out and set it back up so it's it's back up uh, in, in the backyard as of today. I think that's going to be the project. We got the poles out. We got the um, we don't have the net anymore, but we'll, we'll erect that thing back up and be able to practice here in the backyard, and I'll, I'll use it for lessons here and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think everybody will evolve that way. So, yeah, as you, as you see the world change and, and you go into a, a grocery store now, I see maybe not as long as a year from now, we'll go into a grocery store, and there will be 
hand sanitizer for the customer. There will be masks for the customer if they want them. And it's an option, and it'll be provided by the, the business. You go in, and you say, hey, here's your mask, here's your gloves, here's your hand sanitizer, whatever you need to safely shop and do your business. And then when you walk out the exit door, there's a trash can there to dispose of everything. And, and they'll be very inexpensive, and, and as you mentioned. You know, I was the same. I got, uh, I got the information about this virus through a friend in California. He has a company that makes a small product that I use in, in my music stuff. It's a little, um, it's a cable wrap thing. It's made out of rubber, and he gets them made in China. And he was telling me in a phone conversation in mid-January, he said, Alan, let me tell you what's going on in China. He said, they've got this virus. Uh, people are dying. He said, you're going to want to go out right now and get some N95 masks. He said, get them on eBay, get them on wherever you can get them because they're going to get hard to find. He told me this in mid-January. Well, what did I do? I didn't do anything. I looked them up online and saw, well, they're there. They're $10 a dozen or whatever they are. And, uh, you know, I should have heeded his warning and ordered a few because, you know, I, but I didn't. And um, the information was there and not everybody responded, you know. Yeah, I, I remember being at the PGA show and talking to um, <clears throat> Andrew Park, the instructor who works. Um, he's a top 100 teacher and he he works over at Orange County National. And we were having this discussion. He had just gotten back from a trip to China where he was working with some students for a couple of weeks. And he was telling me about how he he didn't feel anything. He, he wasn't sick or anything. And he was lucky. And, but he noticed that a lot of people around were, were, were sick. They were either canceling lessons or not showing up because they were ill uh, or they were just, they were coming in masks or something like that, telling them that they don't feel so well and whatnot. So yeah. he was telling me way back then. Yeah. Well, I think we've all learned from this, this situation. Let's hope that our, our world has learned. And as we move forward and, and, um, um, take what we've learned, the mistakes that we've made. Uh, it's just like our golf game. We're going to uh, assess things. We're going to alter things. We're going to adjust and we're going to make another attempt and we're going to move forward and we're going to be awesome and amazing uh, as we as we move out of this. So, James, I tell you, we can't let you go without talking a little bit more about your, your own golf instruction preferences. I know as an instructor, we all develop our preferences. So I'm going to hit you with a question. What are the top three preferences you have as a golf coach that you'd like to see out of your golfers now this could be this could be personality traits this could be techniques that you like to see them perfect but what are the top three things that you think will give golfers the best foundation of success uh, as golfers what, what are those top three things i think the top three things for me are learning to be a problem solver and so part of that is you, you have to be aware of feedback. And, what I'm, and I think a good example of that is when you see your student hitting a ball, they hit a ball and immediately they look down and reach for another one. And that ball hasn't even landed. And, not, and I'm not even talking about a full swing. It could be a chip shot. Yeah. And they don't see where it landed. They don't see where it rolled out or what happened to the shot. And they're not, they're not getting any feedback. And then they're immediately grabbing another ball. And in a sense, in a sense, what's happening is, is they're waiting for the good shot to show up. And then they'll, they'll justify it by like, Oh, got it. There we go. I got it. Now I got it. Yeah. And instead it's like hit a shot and I'll stop them. I'll actually walk right into them. 
Oh, yeah. Where are you hitting? So if they swing, they're going to hit me. Yeah. So I'll walk right into them and they'll look at me and I'm like, where'd your ball, where'd your ball go? What happened? What'd you see your ball do? What do you, what did you feel like you did? What did you, what? And they, they, they quickly get it. It's like, they've got to, they've got to figure it out. And especially the younger generations where all you have to do is find the app that solves your problem. It's you're teaching them how to be a problem solver. And, and that goes a long way because that's where the self-discovery part of it comes in. And the guided self-discovery is in order to, in order to, for guided self-discovery to be successful, they have to be willing to be problem solvers to begin with. They have to be Sherlock Holmes. So that's, that's a key. Uh, it's focusing on basic things like a setup. And I, and I know there's the argument of like what's considered fundamentals, right? So is a grip fundamental? Yeah, a grip is fundamental, not a particular grip, right? right? You're going to choose the particular grip based on what you're, what's going on. But a grip is a fundamental. So it's like, I call it ABC golf, where it's basically, I just give you your basics, you know, feet close together, ball in the middle, weight to the left, brush the ground, blah, 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 like that. And what happens is that as you do it, you evolve your personal version of that. It's like cooking. I could give you the recipe, tablespoon of this, a teaspoon of that. And then as you cook it over and over again, you start to think of it as like not a tablespoon. You think of it as a pinch. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to throw this much salt in. I'm going to throw that much oregano in. Blah, blah. I'm not going to. I like putting the oil in this way or whatever. But it's still the same dish in the end. It's still a chip shot. It's still a, a, a full swing. And so focusing on that, those basics, and then evolving your style off of that. And, and like, as everyone knows, I'm a big Lego guy. It's the same thing. It's like you're, you're building the, the first blocks, right? Here's a couple of blocks. And one of the things I like doing with all of the Lego things that I build is, is once I build them and they're done, it's, I start to add on to them. I move the pieces around. I make it, I try to make it look more realistic or whatever it is you want to think of it. It's like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to put more pieces here. I don't like that piece there. I'm going to take it off and move it somewhere else. And, and so that's something that I think is, is, is necessary as well, because that's not something that you have to be a high level player at. That's it's, you know, there's, there's the problem solving aspect of it. And then there's just the focus on basic basics. Very good. Very good. Well, that's two. So as, as becoming a problem solver and being able to focus on basics, what's number three? And number three is, is just understanding that we're going to fail. Right. So you notice how there it's, it's for me, it's more what's going on up here rather than what's going on here. Right. Right. So it's understanding that the failure rate is high in this game, just like in baseball. You fail seven out of 10 times, you're a Hall of Famer, the saying goes. And I, I like to tell people that the game of golf is designed for you to fail. It's not designed for you to succeed. Right. How do golf course architects decide where to put the fairway bunker? Well, everyone lands their their drives at 220 yards, so I'm going to put a fairway bunker at 220. Yep. Now you either got to take a three wood and leave it short, or you got to risk a shot of going over. Right. Right. So that's that's how the game. Otherwise, every hole would be dead straight, and every green would be dead flat, and the flags would be in the middle, yeah. and no one would play because it's boring. Or actually, it's just called a walk in the park. 
<laughs> so it's you have to understand that your your expectations are to to fail and so how do you maneuver around those failures and when i say fail i don't mean like fail a test and get a zero on it it's just the shot didn't come off the way you had planned it sure yeah and like we've heard the old saying it's it, it, i just saw it posted from from Vince Lombardi yesterday about we're going to strive for perfection we're not going to achieve it but in the journey to strive for perfection we're going to stumble upon excellence that's right that's right, right. That is fantastic. James Hong, you're a genius, my friend, and you're you're an incredible human being. And the golfers that get to spend time with you are blessed for their their opportunity. And I hope they appreciate it because I do, my friend. I'm very blessed to know you and uh, and spend a little time with you this morning. And uh, all the best to you and your family moving forward out of this uh, pandemic. Um, and I hope to connect with you soon, my friend, because you are a jewel of a person. Well, thank you for having me on. This is this is an honor, and and I I wish you the best. You and your family, be safe and healthy. And everyone that's listening, same thing. I just wish you and your families be safe and healthy during this whole period that we're going through. Yep. Thank you. You as well, buddy. We'll see you soon. Thanks again. That that was James Hong, and I tell you, you cannot get enough of this guy. Uh, he is incredible. And if you get a chance to reach out to him, please do so. James, tell us all your social media sites you can be reached so everybody can reach out and say hello to you. Sure. On, <clears throat> on Facebook, it's just James Hong, and uh, you'll see me there. Uh, I also have a business site on Facebook, James Hong Golf. On Instagram and Twitter, it's at James Hong Golf. I also have a website, but it's really under construction. So if you log on to it, You'll just see under construction and a couple of nice pictures and whatnot. But uh, that's www.jameshonggolf.com. Okay, beautiful. All the best to you, buddy. We'll see you soon and uh, take care. Listeners, I want to thank you for joining us today with our great friend and golf instructor, genius, Mr. James Hong. I hope you all stay safe out there. Keep it in the short grass. Until next time, this has been The Forecast. Have a great day. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.